everyone, welcome to another episode of Life Chat with Vivenville. This week, as we mentioned last week, we're going to be talking about um, the shootings and things that's going on in this nation of ours, which is really crazy. But first, we want to introduce our guests that we have today. We have two great individuals that we want for you guys to hear from and what their, their thoughts are pertaining to the shooting and where they're standing. We have an attorney and we have a teacher on, and they will introduce themselves and then we will dive right in. So uh, let's start with Sue. Introduce yourself, let our audience know who you are. Sure, uh, my name is Sue Toms. Um, I am currently a middle school English teacher. I've been um, in the realm of teaching for about uh, 25 years now, um, kind of on and off, took some time off to raise um, my kiddos. Um, mostly spent my career in the elementary realm, but kind of just recently moved into the um, middle school realm. So um, I've seen a lot of changes in those 25 years. I'm also a mom of three boys. I have a 20 year old, um, 18 and 15. So you know, I've had my kids go through school too and kind of experienced that as well um, with the way things have changed in our nation over the years. So as a teacher and as a mom, kind of feel that uh, both ways. Thank you. We'll have our other guests. Hello, my name is Ameka Igwe. I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm a former assistant district attorney in the city of Philadelphia. So I saw firsthand a lot of the gun violence that unfortunately is plaguing um, most major cities in America. For every shooting that you see in the news, there's probably about 50 others that didn't make the news. So I saw it firsthand. Uh, I currently have a practice now that consists of civil rights cases where we deal with people who may have been shot by the police. So the other end of the spectrum in terms of gun violence. Um, we also do some criminal defense as well, too. In addition to maintaining my own practice, I'm also a military lawyer. Um, and obviously, as a military lawyer, we, we don't call them guns. We call them weapons uh, in the military because we use them for a different purpose, you know, not to take life unnecessarily, but to defend life. So um, my experiences I've been doing for the last 18 years, I think, kind of gives me a unique perspective on the gun violence. And thank you, Vilma, for inviting me to speak about the gun violence. Thank you. And just to explain to our audience, because they may be wondering um, the movement on going on there, our lawyer, Emeka, is actually doing this from the airport in Pittsburgh. His flight got delayed and he, um, still waiting on a flight out, but he was so kind enough, you know, I'm like his mom. He, he said, I'll do it for you. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. So um, for those of you who are listening and, and watching, that's the reason why. And he is gonna be going out shortly. So he's, uh, we're gonna uh, let him talk. We may not have a chance to ask questions, but if you don't see him, that's the reason. So um, be, we are grateful that he can give us even this little bit of time. So what do you want to say? Because with everything that is happening, you know, we have so much argument that is going on. We have people who are, you know, 
for you know um, tighter gun gun restriction, um, gun laws, and then you have those who are saying if you make it this one way, then you are infringing on my amendment of being able to carry a firearm or defend or myself. What are your thoughts on it? My thoughts, like most things in life, there needs to be balance. There is some truth to uh, both sides of the gun debate. Certainly, you can't treat guns, uh, you can't just make a law change in the Constitution because people, it is embedded, whether we like it or not, in the Constitution as the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms will not be infringed. And that is codified. And if, you, if we as a society decide that we want to just say ban guns outright, then we have to go through the constitutional process of amending the constitution in order to, to change the second amendment. So unlike say the ability to drive, that's a privilege that can be revoked at any time by the state because it is embedded in the constitution. I know there's arguments that when the second amendment was first written, they had muskets and, you know, uh, they didn't imagine the kind of mat weapons of mass destruction, uh, it, you know, that we have now that can cause uh, so much uh, havoc and, and tragedy in such a short period of time. And that is a valid argument. But nevertheless, because it is embedded in the Constitution, it's not as easy to just say we're going to ban guns all right. You have to make them subject to a constitutional process. So that's one end of the debate. So. Yes, yes, it is embedded in the Constitution. Yes, it is a right. But like any right, every right has limitations on it. For example, the First Amendment, which we all are familiar with, freedom of speech, has limitations as well, too. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater. You don't have the right to say something defamatory about something, something that's not true uh, about somebody. So even though you have the right to free speech, every right is subject to limitations. And I think that's especially important when it comes to guns. Guns may be a right, but given the mass mass shootings that are taking place um, all across the country, but not even just the mass shootings, I will say mass shootings, as tragic as they are, and as much as they grab the news, the only a small percentage, I think 4% of mm -hmm. the deaths that result from guns. For every mass shooting, there's uh, uh, shooting deaths um, in every major city in America that eclipse the number of people that may have tragically died in a, in a mass shooting event. So we have to say, what can we do to curb this violence? And I think reasonable restrictions on the access to guns is certainly something that we have to consider as a society. The AR-15, which is what we use in the military, I think I mentioned in my introduction that we that that are in the military, the AR-15 is equivalent to the weapon that we use in the military. And I can tell you as a firsthand uh, user of that weapon that it's it's a weapon of war. It's not a weapon to hunt, you know, even though you may use it for hunting, some people may say they use it for hunting. It's designed to, and I hate to be graphic, but to, to kill someone on a battlefield in such a horrific way that they 
bleed out before medical care is given. I mean, it was designed as a weapon of war and war is about destroying your enemies. So that is not something that we should give lightly in the, into the hands of an 18 year old. So I think laws that restrict, um, if not ban outright the, the AR-15, certainly I think it's reasonable to say we have to up the age limit that someone can access uh, AR-15. I mean, it doesn't make sense that if you're 18, you can't buy a handgun, but you can buy a more powerful weapon, which is the AR-15. So we certainly have to raise the, uh, the age limit. And wh why that's important, Vilma, is most of these mass shooting events are done by 18 or younger because most of the shooters are adolescent males. And it's a proven scientific fact that at that young age, mm -hmm. our, the male adolescent brain is not developed enough um, from an emotional um, uh, point of view to be able to, to, to handle such a weapon of mass destruction. So I certainly think we need to look into uh, raising uh, the, the age limit. Um, I think we need to, uh, as far as school shootings, and I, I'll be very interested to get the perspective of a teacher. So it may be a little too much to require teachers themselves to actually be armed, but certainly children are our most precious resource. So every school should have a dedicated school police officer. And I'm talking about from elementary, middle school, high school, because in the unfortunate event that you do have a mass shooting, there needs to be at least a deterrent to, to, uh, to someone committing a mass shooting event. If you notice, most of these mass shooting events are done at soft targets, places where they think there's a, a, a low likelihood of running into somebody who will actually have a weapon to shoot back at them. So grocery stores, churches, schools, these are all considered soft targets. So given the fact that children are our most precious resource and no parent should actually, should have to even think that once they drop their child off at school, they may not see that child again because they were lost to gun violence. So um, I think we need to have a level of protection at the school level to make sure that, these, that our children are protected. Mental health is another aspect. Uh, I think that's something that's not addressed enough. I do believe we're in the middle of a mental health crisis um, that's been exacerbated by COVID. Um, and I think we're seeing the effects of that now, the fact that, uh, that people are acting now in such a violent way, we are recognized in every category of violent crimes. And it's something that I think there needs to be leadership at the, the federal level, the state level, the local level, to really address the mental health crisis um, that's going on. And one other thing, Bilmer, and I apologize for rambling on, but one other thing I think we need to talk about is the violence itself in our culture. I mean, the violence in the video games, the violence in the movies, that's not often talked about because people don't realize the cause and effect of people viewing these violent, violent scenes, imageries of the video games which simulate actual shootings. It, it, the shooter in Buffalo who went into the grocery store, he was a gamer. And in fact, he actually filmed himself going into the grocery store and slaughtering innocent people. 
And you have to, when that, when something like that happens, we have to ask ourselves as a society, do, are there things that we need to change? Or do we need to regulate to make sure that young vulnerable minds are not exposed and desensitized to violence at such a young age? So it's not an easy problem to address. It's, uh, it's very complex, but we got to start somewhere. Enough is enough. The violence is at all time high and it's time that we address it as a society. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Covered a lot. Covered a lot. Well, I have a question. You know, we've been dealing with this for many years, Mecca, and um, they've been saying, okay, we're going to change the laws or we're going to up the age limit for those individuals who can purchase guns. But it seemed like every time we have a, a big shooting or a school shooting, everyone get gung-ho, but then things just die away. So are we actually doing anything or are we just talking? Well, I think uh, for the most part, it, you know, um, it becomes talk because of the division in America. There's such uh, distrust on the different political um, spectrum between the left and the right. You know, the right believes that any restriction on gun control is the left's plot to ban all guns. And the left, I don't mean everyone, obviously, I'm just talking in general, but the left uh, may believe that it, all guns, you know, should be banned when some guns do serve a legitimate purpose for self-defense and um, protecting life and, and protecting others. So I, that's why I, I preface in my, in, in the beginning of my statement that it, there has to be a balance. I think when we reached a, the tipping point, which if we as a society can't do anything, when we see young, innocent children slaughtered, you know, as a, as a father of a, a two-year-old girl, I, can, I can't even begin to imagine the pain any parent feels losing their child to such a violent death. So that has to be the tipping point to say enough is enough. We have to put aside our political differences and we have to do something. But I think the best approach is to do something that, let's take baby steps. It may be, you know, too much for someone to say, let's totally ban the AR-15, for example. Well, let's start by at least raising the age limit. And I think incremental steps like that could be easily swallowed than trying to swallow the whole pie of, you know, comprehensive gun legislation that's going to meet with a lot of resistance from powerful lobbyists. The NRA is a very powerful lobbying organization and um, there's gonna be great resistance if we try to do too much at, at, at one time. Yeah, so I know a lot of people are saying that the NRA basically owned the politician and why, I, I know I'm probably getting too political here, but, um, they're saying that they can't really, like you just said before too, they're a very powerful um, organization. So being that they're giving into so many political individuals money and they're a big organization. So can we really do the change that we're claiming that we're, we wanna see change? I know you said, well, let's take baby steps and change the age limit, but how can we knock them down a little bit? What can we do to really make the change? What's the baby steps besides the fact of saying, okay, 
let's change the age limit. What can we actually do to make an impact with such a big organization as the NRA? Mm. The Constitution and this experiment of America as it was, as it's been set up is to give power to the people, not to lobbyist groups, not to activist groups, but power to the people. And so I think there has to be a, a grassroots movement of people who say, you know, mothers and fathers who say enough is enough, teachers and everyone else getting together and getting active and saying, you know what, well, we're going to hold the, the politicians accountable because the reality is the only way to change laws is through our elected officials. But the key is that they are elected. We put them in office and we have to hold them accountable and say that this is something that the vast majority of people want and you are there to serve us. Your public officials, you're there to serve us. And if you're not going to do as the, the majority want of the people that you serve, then you're gonna get replaced. And I think that's the only practical way to overcome um, lobbyists of any, no matter what the lobbyist group is, whether it be the NRA or any other lobbyist group, you have to be a bigger influence on that politician than that lobbyist group. So in terms of practicality, I think we have to get involved, you know, at, at the local level, state level and, and the federal level to implement the change that we want to see. Thank you so much. And I know for our audience, we have heard some sound. Again, just to remind you that our lawyer is there in the airport trying to find a way home. So he may have to um, come off. So while he's deciding <laughs> if he's getting off now <laughs> and how to home, we're going to uh, turn to, um, we want to thank you, you know, for really doing this. Absolutely. And, and whenever you need to go off, when we do, when we look up and don't see you, we know that you are on your I'm way. I'm actually going to get off now, Vilma, because I, I got to get a red But I thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I'd love to be back. Appreciate okay. it. No problem. No problem. Thank you so much. Okay, Miss Sue, you have been so patiently just sitting there. <laughs> and I, I know you're a teacher, man, because we are full of patience. <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much, so much for, you know, allowing us to, to speak with him and you understand what's happening. Um, yeah. So what's your perspective? So I can jump in here. I was really listening. It was very interesting to, um, to listen to what he had to say. And also interesting that, um, that much of what I believe is aligned with what Ameka said also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the same things like raising the age limit, um, having a school resource officer, um, mental health in our country and uh, violent culture that he talked about are all things, you know, that I, that I very much think are things we need to focus on as well. But as, as a teacher in that, in the situation right now, I know these things take time. Um, and we know that the process, the, um, you know, the process of government takes a long time. Um, and, and like he said, baby steps, but I don't necessarily know that that makes me feel safer in the short term, because if we're going to take baby steps, I'm still going to be teaching through those baby steps. So I'm still going to be the one going into my classroom 
and wondering how I protect myself and how I protect my students in my classroom. You know, how, how do I prepare for that? So yes, I do think we need to address all those things. And I, and I think we do need to do it a little bit quicker, which might, which might be what he was talking about at the end, taking a stand, you know, and saying enough is enough. We need to start getting things done. But in the meantime, I think to myself, how do, how do we better prepare ourselves um, now, like right now for, for this culture that we are currently experiencing? So certainly a resource officer could help. Um, I know there's not one at every, you know, at every school. I work at a private school, so we don't have a resource officer at our school. Um, he talked about arming teachers and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't feel like I would be the person to be armed. Um, I've never shot a gun in my life. I really don't intend to shoot a gun. Um, not a gun person, not a hunter, nothing like that. Um, so, but on the same token, I, it might make me feel better to know there are people in my building who are armed. Does it have to be a resource officer or could there be a certain number of staff members who are, you know, trained to, to use a weapon. Um, I, I don't know that that would necessarily be a deterrent, I guess, because uh, somebody might not know that that is the case, but it, it could make, you know, it, it could help if, if you knew there were people there who could step in to do something like that. Um, other protections we think about, you know, we, we obviously have all the door locks, on the buildings um, and our classroom doors are always locked, which, you know, can, it, it's a pain because, you know, we come in and out of the classroom all the time. So you're constantly locking, unlocking. And I'm not gonna say that occasionally it doesn't get locked because you forget. I mean, that's the reality of what happens, but that's at least some line of defense. But I, I feel like we don't train our students very well in the process, um, you know, we've taught them to basically hide. You know, if, if somebody comes into the building, if there's an intruder who has a weapon, you know, it's not gonna really do you a whole lot of good to hide under your desk. <laughs> you know, you're sort of a sitting duck at that point, right? So we probably need to change our protocols of what we train kids to do. Because the reality is he's right. If someone comes into your classroom with an AR-15, rifle, hiding under your desk isn't going to do a whole lot of good, but throwing a desk at the person could save lives. I don't know. There's, there's, I know there's other strategies um, to talk about. And I'm, and I know that schools are rethinking that whole process. So they're trying to figure out, well, what would be a better way to prepare in the short term if this were to happen at your school? So we, I know our from, from my school's perspective, we are getting training. So I'd be interested to do and what, um, what they now want us to teach the kids to do, to see if, you know, I mean, I, I've gone, I've gotten so far as to think, what could I have? Could I have a baseball bat in my closet? You know, that could possibly do something. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it's crazy. I've heard teachers who have, um, like bulletproof type clothing in their closets. So, you know, we, we all think about it. <laughs> you know, we, we can't not think about it. And mm -hmm. as, as it happens with more frequency, 
we have to think about it. I, when, mm -hmm. You know, early in my career, when I was, you know, teaching, say, 20 years ago, it, it, it wasn't, it, this was not happening, or it was very rare, like very rare. You didn't hear, you know, it, it was, so you never thought, oh, okay, that was a really rare thing. That's not going to happen. I feel like it's just kind of ramped up and it's more frequent now to the point where, yeah, we have to think about the real possibility that, that, you know, this could actually happen in, in our school. And, and I, and I understand what Emeka was saying that the mass shootings are such a small percentage of gun um, violence deaths. It's just so much in, you know, a small um, period of time. And, and they do, you know, and schools are targets because there's a lot of people there, you know, again, there's not anybody there typically to protect unless you have a resource officer, but even still some of these school shootings, the resource officer wasn't even able to help or, you know, couldn't do it in, in enough time or, you know, so that's not even foolproof method to, um, to help. So, you know, so I'm kind of looking at both of those as, yes, I think we definitely need to make changes, but they're not going to happen fast enough mm -hmm. for, you know, for what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. So you know, I kind of have both of those things going on right now. How can, how can I better protect in my classroom right now? And what can we do to help in the future? And I, I do believe mental health is a really big thing that we need to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, why, why these, why these kids, you know, feel like this and they are kids, you know, most of them, they're kids mm -hmm. who are, you know, doing these things. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of stuck between those two worlds, I guess, what's to come and what we have to deal with right, right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I hear you and, um, you kind of answered a question that I was planning to ask later on and that was how we teach students there was a person that I listened to I didn't come up with this idea mm -hmm. um, and who was a part of the Obama administration who helped I think she is um, was she a police I, I, I don't remember um, but she was helping with um, talking about you know what should be done um, in schools and the training, et cetera. And she also commented on, on that, not to teach students to hide, but to fight. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to see if they can, you know, make that more um, understandable to, to teachers and to those who are doing the, these drills, you know. Yeah. Um, to teach them to fight and I hear you talk about it and yes two kids could probably take a desk up and and you know throw it even the scare of it would probably have him you know right away yeah but yeah. I have I have something else that I want to tell you you could use in um, in addition to the thing you, okay. <laughs> you, you know what a slingshot is yes yes yeah. You could you yeah. could go carry one in your desk with a with a stone and be like David, you know, and just bias, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, make sure you aim for the forehead. <laughs> I did, um, so I did teach, so I've taught at various schools, you know, throughout my career. And I did teach at one school recently who um 
they didn't just teach their students to hide. They called it um, fight, flight, or hide. So depending on the situation, you know, you could, it, it, you know, obviously if someone's entering your classroom, you have to fight because there's no there's no hiding if they're if they're actually getting into your classroom. Um, but um, but if you can get away, so I know some schools will will say that they're going to announce, you know, at, you know, intruder and they'll tell you where the intruder is in the building. So if it's all the way on the other side of the building, it's a possibility you could get out another door, you know, and in that case, you shouldn't hide, you, sh you should flight, you should, you know, you should fly, you should get out of there if you can. Um, and then there are situations where, where, you know, hiding probably would be appropriate. So, you know, maybe we need to teach kids, you know, all three of those options. Um, you know, and the, the, the sad part is, as a teacher, I feel like I, I'm going to be the one who makes that decision. And that's, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> you know, like, if I tell the kids, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get out, you know, we're gonna get out of the building now. And then you go into the hallway and you made the wrong mistake, or the, you know, the wrong decision. That's potentially life threatening to them, right? So, um, it's, it, it's, it's hard, you know, to know what to do. My, my particular classroom, I have nice windows that you can get out of. So I know that's always an option for me to, you know, you know, bust, bust out the screens because they come out really easy and open the windows and, and try to get the kids out as fast as I can out of the window. Um, but again, that's assuming that you don't have someone who's, act, you know, actually coming into your classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so a lot there's there's so many things to think about it's like and and you can't possibly prepare yourself for what will happen if you are in that situation you know what would I do will I know what to do <laughs> you know will I and you know every teacher I know would would lay down their life for their students so it's not a matter of me getting out it's me trying to get my kids out which my kids mm -hmm. go my, my own kid goes to the school that I teach at so you know I got to think about that too like mm -hmm. I'm protecting my class at the same time I have a student you know my own child in the building as well so it's just there's a lot of things to think about <laughs> a lot so yeah it does I could I could only imagine because I'm not a teacher myself but when you heard the last one I know we hear about a lot of shooting that's going on over the years so when you heard about this shooting or any particular shooting, th does it affect you even though you're not actually, you know, being that you're teaching and not actually at that particular location, does it affect you in any way? Do, does it make you think, okay, could I have done something different from that particular teacher? Mm -hmm. What goes through your head when, when you hear these particular shootings? Yes, 100%. You, you relay it in your mind and you're like, why was the door not locked? You know, like why, I mean, how, how did that person get into the building first of all? And then I, I, I think I heard correctly that um, the teacher went to lock the door once they knew somebody was in the building, like locked the classroom door, it wasn't locked already. And by that time it's too late. You know, if, you, if your classroom door isn't, I mean, you just don't have enough time to be out there turning the key in the lock, you know, or whatever. Um, so, you know, in my mind, first of all, I'm like, oh, wh why, why was it not locked? You know, and then second of all, 
you know, the kids were all hiding under the desks. So you're like, you got into the classroom and then there they are just sitting ducks, you know, under the, so yeah, you run through the scenarios like, well, what would I have done? You know, what would my kids be doing? Um, You know, wouldn't it have been better to, yeah, like have a baseball bat and try to like, you know, if they come in the door, beat them with the bat or throw a desk, you know, um, something like that, you know, and, and why, why was the outside door, you know, open who you know who is in charge of that but you know what the reality is people prop doors open mm-hmm. you know I've experienced it now I I think about it maybe more than many because my classroom is the first classroom um, when you come in through one of the doors of our school so if that door were breached guess whose classroom is first it's mine mm-hmm. and there have been many times that I have gone out and, and seen the door propped Know, or um, or it's not locked, you know, and obviously we're trying to work on that more. And as, as you hear more school, school shootings, hopefully we get more um, vigilant with that. But, you know, you get lax after a while too. And someone needs to run out yeah. to their car. They, they prop the door, um, you know, they, they unlock it, but then they forget to lock it back up again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The reality is you don't want that to happen at like the worst possible time, but who knows it could, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then it just, you can't help but envision when something like that happens that it was your classroom and your students, mm-hmm. you know, and those images run through your mind even though you don't want them to, mm-hmm. you know, and you think, what if those were my students, you know, like, lying dead on the floor in a classroom I mean it's just it's it's horrifying and it gives you nightmares mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and and part of me part of me doesn't want to go back <laughs> you know there's a big part of me that's like do I really want to do this job <laughs> I mean I, I think I mean I know I still will but I don't know how many more shootings will there be before I say nope I'm out I'm done I, I I'm hear not, you. I'm, I just can't. Yeah. I hear you loud and clear, loud and clear. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I have to say, I, you, you're, you're absolutely right. When you have a lull, you tend to um, drop your guard mm-hmm. about what is happening. And then the minute you do so is, you know, the minute something happens, but then you think about it again is, you have to be always on heightened alert. You always yeah. have to be thinking. You, you cannot relax. You know, students are in school to learn and to run around and, and recess and have fun. And, and I just cannot imagine the, um, the anxiety that, right. that it provokes in them. And, and how can they learn when you're, you're constantly looking at the door, you're constantly listening, am I going to be next? Because, you know, with children, yeah. these things get magnified and they, they, they think the worst of everything. That's no way to live. That, that's, that's not a normal life. No, yeah. and I think we're getting more abnormal as time goes on, right? Or maybe it's the new normal. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you also have to consider the fact that most of most of these students or, or, or kids, most of these kids who do these shootings were students at these schools. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we need we as teachers need to be aware of that, too. We need to be aware of 
the fact that these are kids who we taught mm-hmm. uh, or kids who we saw were struggling um, with mental health issues or with isolation or with being with, you know, the weird kid, um, you know, like it's, I think pretty much all of them have gone back to their own school that they went to. Mm-hmm. So familiar territory for them, which, which as teachers, we need to be ultra aware of that fact, because, you know, maybe you can help a kid mm-hmm. before they would get to that point. Mm-hmm. Right. But, um, you know, it's, it's something that we definitely need to be mindful of as well, that these are, these are kids we might know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or, or at least have, you know, been to, been to that school before. So that's something to think about too, for, mm-hmm. for the, that's a great point. That's a great point um, that you made um, about they were former students and we need to stop overlooking things. We need to stop when we see a situation, we need to, we need to, we need to dig deep. We need to dig deep and don't just pass students over. And then at the same time, you don't want the, um, a teacher to say, I'm not going to discipline. I'm not going to do so-and-so because I'm afraid they will come back at me. You know, so it's, yeah. where do you draw the line? Yeah. Well, you know, what I have found um, working with middle school students is, you know, if you take that hard line approach with them, um, yeah, they're going to push, they're going to push back at you because, you know, that's maybe their age or I don't know something, but um, when you, when you discipline a student with love, you know, and let them know, you know, why it is you're, you're disciplining them, you know, and it's, and it's because you care about them. Uh, they, it's, it's, they're much more receptive to it mm-hmm. when they feel, when they feel loved and appreciated and wanted and, you know, um, accepted. And in fact, I don't even know if most of these school shooters were discipline issues. I think they were the kids who were, um, I mean, maybe I'm not sure I haven't delved far enough into that, but, but I, but from what I understand, they were always the kids who were isolated, um, didn't have a lot of friends, mm-hmm. um, didn't feel accepted, you know, Right. Or, or that, or that they belong, you know, and you, and you have those kids. Um, so it's how, you know, how do we reach that kid? How do we make, how do we help the other kids to help them to feel accepted, even though they're different, you know, and maybe not necessarily like them. And, and a lot of it, you know, um, Emeka talked about the violent culture of the video games. And I think the cyber world has just ruined some of these kids because they don't know real life. They, they live in a made up world online, you know? Yeah, they may be shooting people in their video games, but they also are only talking to people online. They're not talking to anybody in person. So they don't have real connections to people. And um, isolation is a huge, huge factor, you know? And they want glory and fame because then somebody will finally know who they are, right? They'll know you know, they'll, they'll know their name, they'll get recognition. It, and there's a definite profile. So, you know, I was talking to my husband, who's an attorney also about this. And I'm like, I, I don't understand how we can't work with these profiles and gun laws, you know, and, and his, you know, position was, it's kind of vague, right? How, how do you, you can't just say, I'm not going to sell you a gun because you're weird. You know what I mean? Like, 
but there, there, there has to be a way to have red flags. I guess it's the red flag laws, right? Like who, mm-hmm. who's, who's a red flag? How do you determine who would be a red flag to own a weapon? Because there is a dis- very distinct profile, at least to these school shooters. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something I'm sure somebody somewhere is thinking about that, but um, you know, we're always aware in school of students who might fit that bill you know, and trying to work with them, which requires a lot more counseling. We need more school counselors. You know, there's, there's not enough of them either. So, you know, that, that's another resource that, that could be used. It's just, it's, it's a lot on top of trying to teach the kids. (laughs) Yeah. Almost like teaching takes the back burner now to to social issues, I guess, but. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know we're talking a lot about children you know you you being a teacher of course it's appropriate but how about you know like this this man who was in a lot of pain and in Tulsa and he went and he killed his doctor and he killed five people at the medical center because he blamed the doctor um he couldn't get any relief from his pain and I'm thinking uh, is it that we have a world gone mad (laughs) yeah it's a it's a valid question um you know i mean obviously there had to have been mental health issues there as well right because somebody you know you know just anybody normally would not think that that would be something that they would do if they were unhappy with their doctor (laughs) Um, but the funny thing is um sue i was i was talking to another individual an adult and and she was experiencing some pain and I, I will try to make it as anonymous as possible. And she said, you know, this pain is so unbearable. I really could see how that person went and, and killed that doctor for being in so much pain. Yeah, well, and if you think about it too, you know, <laughs> about like the instances of road rage and how, how many more of those have happened recently or like you know I'm looking at you know every day you watch the news from Philadelphia and you know two people get into a fight outside of a bar and all of a sudden one's shooting the other one dead you know it's I I guess it has ramped up where it's it's our violent culture again what Emeka was talking about right not just video games but our actual violent culture that the you know the only way to solve our problems is through violence Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm you know, we don't talk things out with each other anymore. We don't look at each other's viewpoints and respect each other's opinions. We just, you know, resort to violence or, you know, yelling or my position's right, yours is wrong. So it, I, yeah, I don't know. Our world has kind of gone kind of a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. I know, Vivian, we're getting close to um, our time, but just before you go, I just want to just to say one thing because I'm also an, in education, um, okay. and I and I'm also in the, in the medical world as well, the medical field. And one of the things that I want people out there to know and to understand when we talk about a shooting, when we talk about a child that is shot and a child that is dead. You're not looking at, um, as they show on the movies, somebody laying down with a spot of blood on their shirt 
or or a, a, a mark on their forehead. You're looking at unrecognizable people. And this is the picture that I think we want people to get. We hear about a shooting and the person, you know, so many die. And we have the picture of just laying down, bleeding from somewhere. We want people to get it that these people die horrible death. These yeah. children die horrible death. It's difficult to recognize them when yeah. you go in with a shotgun or whatever it is, they are splattered. Yeah, I think I think um, this time around, I feel like that was made a whole lot more clear. Okay, yeah. I think, I think about, um, I think it was the actor Matthew McConaughey, I right? Know. Who had the shoe, sure. you know, the sneaker to say, this is the only way that they identified this little girl by her shoe. And, you know, I don't think people think about that. Like, no, they don't. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. It's, it's, it's horrifying to think about that. And maybe that's why people maybe are feeling a little more strongly now too, is that they made those details known, the gory details that, you know, they didn't recognize kids. Um, they had to have DNA samples to figure out who was who. I mean, that, I, I can't, the people who, who went in there to do that, I don't know how they, they're gonna need help, mental health help, because I don't know how you see something like that and it doesn't scar you for life, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, yeah. that was a point though. Yeah, it was, what do you bury? This is what I have in this coffin here. Yeah. yeah. And, and it takes me back to um, this, the first person who did that, what was his name? Oh my. Uh, my audience don't get at me way back Bibelin, um was it Columbine you're talking about Columbine no no he uh, way back and um this this black guy that was lynched uh, oh. oh boy I I I will have to put that out there somewhere he was lynched and his his mother said Emmett 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 oh okay yep. Emmett Smith Emmett no, oh boy, not that, but Emmett was his name. And he was lynched. And when they said it's a closed casket, his mom said, no, no. Let the world see what they did to my child. Yeah. Emmett yeah. Teal, Emmett Teal, yes. So, uh, so yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you become, and I think the kids in their video games are desensitized too. I don't know. I don't know how gory the video games get, but I'm sure it's not you know, as real life mm -hmm. you know, as, as it could be. So, but yeah, that's yeah, really All good point. Right. I think we'll have to continue this conversation. What do you think, Bibelin? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> have yeah. Sue back on. <laughs> Let me hear from the police officer too. I think that would be a really good. Yeah, um, yeah. I have to wait until things die down then get him on because there's so many things going on you know through yeah. because of public um they have to be careful what they say at this time of course, what's going of course. On. but yeah we do appreciate you coming on and um you have any final words or anything that you want to leave our audience with sue um you know just um that it's definitely time for change i think um like, like you said, Vivalyn, before, you know, it can't just be words anymore. 
we, we, we need to, you know, we really need to start talking about these things. There, the, I believe the majority of Americans feel like there are changes that can be made. So we do need to start holding our legislators accountable to that. So, you know, we can't just let it go again until the next one happens. Thank you so much, Sue, for joining us in Mecca, wherever you are. If you've got that rental car or whatever, we thank you. Appreciate you coming on and, and just briefing us a lot on what you had to say. It was really good points. So thank you guys once again. This is Live Chat with Vivenville. We appreciate you. Goodbye. Bye.